0: Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Welcome to another spring spectacular edition of the Writers Group Senior Story Hour. I'm Peter Jay, and today with me are... Steve Sherlock.
1: Dave Flaherty. Al Larkin. Alice Judge. Bill Wiley.
2: Pat Winnie Arsky.
0: And so today, once again, we convene with our stories and... I think I'm going to set the festivities off this time by going first with a real brief one. One of the things that I find fun is to analyze another writing style. How does that writer, that author, do what they do? And to break it down and figure out how I might emulate the same as a learning experience. It's a great exercise. I highly recommend it to all of you writers who wish to become better at your craft. Study the craft of someone else and figure out what you like about it. Here, I emulate the style, albeit very briefly, of Dr. Theodore Seuss-Giesel. <laughs> <laughs> tis spring, tis spring, and time to sing of my spring fling, when I can swing my spring fling bling of sparkling things and rings on strings, to cling and swing both to and fro, cause That's just how my spring flings go.
2: (laughs) Great.
3: Yay for Dr. Seuss. So, Steve, what are you up for? I can follow that easily if you want, because to the extent that the theme, if you will, setting it up was to look at somebody, I decided to look at one of the good writers in terms of me. (laughs) And I went back to some of my early stuff. (laughs) Ah. To, to see how, if anything, what has evolved. And I think at one point in time, we also talked about um, how things come to you. And there was one poem, and I managed to find it, that literally came right from a dream. So it was one of the days, you know, post-college, I was at home, I had a notebook by my bed, woke up in the middle of the night and just wrote it down.
0: And then the next morning, as George Carlin says, all
3: you had was a page filled with the letter B. Fortunately, I could read what I wrote, (laughs) Uh and you'll be able to listen to it now. This fork doesn't see peas and potatoes. The first step is a long one. From here to there, or here to there, or here to there, or, 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 row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily, life is but a, peas and potatoes will go with either fork, <laughs> and such as <is> it was. <laughs> cool. A little bit later, further along in my early time, back when I was still heavily into the running world, I had this short one called Ritual. The hardest thing is the getting up, out of my soft, easy chair, to go to the hall, reach for my shirt and shorts. Once that far, yesterday's lingering sweat took over.
1: You don't wash your shorts and shit. (laughs) I I
3: wasn't washing them every single time, so it had that, you know, like, oh, that's what it smelled like yesterday. Oh, let's go. (laughs) <laughs> as opposed to, ooh, that smells so bad, i got to run. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll close with one other. I titled mm. The Dancer. So it's kind of springish. It mentioned spring somewhere along the way. Beginning with the music, following in its footsteps, spreading her arms, the melody slowly expanding, stepping lightly to it, ballet, then folk, some disco she moves in the consort plays on. Increasing the tempo, her feet followed quicker with the drums. The rhythm became that of the jungle, and she was still there, moving to that tribal tone, and the consort played on. Flower, fairy, flying thing, free to adapt, moving to the rhythm, to the melody that is our common ground. As it ends and she rests, her chest heaving with breath, Her face is flush with a piece, not unlike a sunflower, touched with morning dew. So that's my spring trio for today. Nice.
4: Mm, Nice. I like the words.
3: Thank you. As I was going into the archives, those I thought still worked. Some of the others need work. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So who would like to proceed
0: next? Any takers?
5: How, How about me?
0: Okay, Bill, you're up.
5: I wasn't going to read a romantic one, but I, I wrote one the other day I want to read. I don't always know what to, what to name these things. I, I, I just grab a, a title up in the poem, but I, n- I never know what to call them. This one I called, my, my Feelings for You. I feel so bad. I feel so blue. Because, my darling, I'm not holding you. Together, we feel love. Together, we belong. You are like listening to my favorite song. I sing out loud my feelings so deep. For you, my darling, for you, I weep. So happy I'll be with you by my side. My feelings for you, I just cannot hide. Without you around, I'm lost and alone. It's you that I want to be my very own. I hope and pray the day will come soon. I'll hold you so near under the light of a full moon. That's going to be I thought that one came up pretty good.
4: That's a winner. That's a Hallmark card. There you go. Bill, go. <laughs> you're, you're going
0: you're gonna to end up with a whole section on the rack.
4: <laughs> <laughs> is it okay if I go uh, Alice? in case uh,
0: Absolutely. I go ahead.
4: have to uh, leave with my charming dog there? Well, I'm going to read chapter 12 of my book, Murder is Bad Press, but for those listeners that um, I, I think I'll do a little catch up and tell them what it's all about. My main character, Allison Peters, has gotten fired from her job as staff reporter because she got a little nosy about her uh, editor, Bill Shaw's life. She feels that her former roommate, who disappears the night she went out on an assignment, is really the bio child of uh, Bill Shaw. So anyway, Allison has gotten fired, but she wants to get a hold of um, her former roommate, Blair Nugent's resume. So she has the key to the newspaper office. So she and her friend Lacey who goes along with Allison to keep her out of trouble. Lacey and Alison are now going to um, go into the newspaper office and search for the resume, chapter 12. I was jumpy about what I was going to do, but at 1.45 a.m., when my bedroom alarm went off, I was ready. I was in dark clothes, hooded shirt to put over my head, should anybody detect me. I put new batteries and two flashlights, one for Lacey in case she forgot hers. Sandy Ridge was quiet, even scary in the early morning hours. Oh yes, there was the occasional car, but the town was taking a siesta. Exactly at 2 p.m., exactly at 2 a.m., excuse me, I pulled up to the newspaper office. Lacey wasn't there, I waited 10 minutes. And then decided to go in. My friend probably decided against our adventure. I got out of the car and walked to the front door. It was then Lacey drove up. I overslept. She apologized. I was glad to see her. Here's a flashlight in case you forgot one. My friend grabbed it, tried it. The light highlighted the door. It was grimy with a lot of crap I didn't want to venture into thinking about with choice words sprawled in red paint, one doesn't say in public. I unlocked the door, it screeched. Lacey jumped, scared the hell out of me. Sorry, she said. We walked up the 10 stairs to the foyer of the courier, past the reception desk, entered the darkened newsroom. I stood attempting to get used to the darkness. Street lights from the outside falling airily on the vacant desks. Shaw's office was up and to the left. I went in. Lacey, you stand outside here in case we're interrupted. You can warn me. My friend looked ill at that prospect. Once inside, I went to Shaw's desk. I pried open the middle drawer with the tools I had brought. Nothing. I opened the other drawers in the desk. Lacey was right. Blair's resume was not there. Shaw had papers on top of a bookcase. Nothing. Damn, I stood in Shaw's office, flashlight down trying to figure out what to do next. I went to his secretary's desk outside the door. Perhaps my ex boss had given Blair's data to his secretary, in case I came stooping. God, Alison, do you hear yourself? Shaw doesn't give a damn about you. You could write him off and get on with your own life. Yeah, sure. Where else could the resume be? I was out of ideas and I sat on a chair to think. Suddenly I was broken out of my reverie by a booming voice and a flashlight in my face. Stay right where you are and don't move. This is a security police and you are under arrest. I dropped my flashlight as if zapped by an electric shock. I'm not armed, I yelled. Don't move, the tall figure in front of me repeated. I wish he wouldn't keep saying that since I wasn't going anywhere. I wanted to crawl into the woodwork and desperately needed to pee all of a sudden. Oh, what an embarrassment if I had an accident. The guard backed up and switched on the light. The illumination blinded both of us for a second. Then we assessed each other. Allison, what the hell are you doing here? You wouldn't believe if I told you. Can I sit down? He nodded. Once seated, I put my head between my legs in case I vomited. Don't try anything funny. I'd known Joe, the security guard, for three years. He was a cheery middle-aged man with deep brown eyes who loved to talk about his grandchildren. I had never heard him shout and it was very unnerving. But as I looked at him now, Joe's right hand, where he held his gun, had a slight tremor and his Adam's apple was prominent. I heard police sirens in the distance. Oh, Joe, did you have to call the cops? I asked. You did break in, Allison. As we both listened, the police sirens got closer and soon were very loud. Then doors were slamming and what sounded like a stampede of horses were coming up the stairs. Opened the door with such force, I shrank back. They stopped short upon seeing just Joe and I. Joe went over to the cops with bulletproof vests and explained how he found me. Then I saw Ted. His mouth fell open upon seeing me. What the hell are you doing here, he asked. I tried to speak, but nothing came out. Put away the guns, fellas, Ted said. She's dangerous only to herself. He came over to me. What the hell are you up to, he yelled. I told him how I was looking for Blair's resume. Did you find it? No, if there was one, Shaw destroyed it. Allison, if I hadn't been here, you would be in a lot more trouble than you are. Why did you try to find this resume in the middle of the night? I explained how Lacey had tried to find it earlier in the day, but couldn't, so I still had my key and knew Shaw's middle drawer was locked. I thought this was the only way to find what I wanted. But it isn't here, is it? Ted told me I would have to accompany him down to the police station. Allison, what you did tonight was crazy. Joe could have shot you. You're losing it because that resume is important only in your mind. You've got to stop this. Paul liked me, I knew. That was the police chief, so I was hoping. I wouldn't get into much trouble. Technically, I wasn't breaking in. I started thinking about what I would tell Hall. Ted turned back to me and told a fellow officer to cuff me. You don't have to do that, I scoffed. Read this young lady her rights, he commanded. I hoped my wanting to kill Ted registered on my face. The cuffs were tight the rookie cop, cop rough with me. Halfway out the door, I remembered Lacey. I stopped short. What now, asked Ted. I forgot about my friend Lacey. Maybe she went home when she heard you coming, but maybe she's scared to come out. I don't want to leave her. Call her and tell her it's okay to come out. I won't cover because I know you probably conned her into going with you. I called Lacey's name, told her I was leaving with Ted, and I didn't want to leave her. With the exception of Joe, the security guard, of course, and I didn't think he could take finding another woman in the dock this morning. She yelled back, so I was glad she was still there. Actually, Lacey had been at her desk the whole time, just waiting for me to tell her I was done. I told her she wasn't in trouble. Ted told her to pick her friends more carefully or she might get into real trouble. We didn't talk as the cops led us to the police cruiser and Lacey said nothing as we traveled to the station. I stole a glance at her as we traveled to the station but couldn't read her expression. I just knew I had lost a friend.
6: A little excitement there.
4: Oh yes. It's so shocking that you're speechless. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was thinking how real it was because I was seeing some articles um recently around, you know, news reporters getting quote disqualified from certain stories because of certain things in their backgrounds. And here your writer actually oh, yeah. got fired <laughs> because she was trying to do a story. So it, things <laughs> are happening like that. So uh, who
0: would like to go next?
1: Mine is short. I'll be go done for quick. It. Last week, we were talking about uh, houses, but we were, you know, how we lived. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised at the number of you that had pools, pool tables, not swimming pools, pool tables.
3: Pool tables. Yeah. And that
1: reminded me of a short story that I wrote a while ago. So you've probably heard it before. I call it a card in the back pocket. One well, Christmas season, hubby saw a good sale for a pool table. He suggested that we purchase the pool table as a dual gift for each other because not only could we both enjoy playing together but so could the entire family and even others. It was his altruism that convinced me. He ordered the pool table. When it arrived, we saw why the price was such a good deal. It was unassembled. (laughs) Undaunted, we wrapped it in a colorful chromatic Christmas paper and placed it under the forest of presents under the Christmas tree. The gift tag announced, to the family, there were so many presents that even an unwrapped package with a picture of a pool table soon lost its allure among all the other bling. Soon the pool table was forgotten and relegated to the basement where it was intended to go anyway. Sometime around the month of November, when thoughts of Christmas were starting again, the question asked, What happened to that pool table we got last Christmas? It was still in the basement waiting. We got out the screwdrivers and socket wrenches, the hammers and drills, and we argued over the interpretation of directions, but we did manage to assemble it. It was beautiful. Yes, however, it was beautifully wrong. The pool table filled the room. There was no room for the pool cues to shoot. Right. <laughs> a mammoth mistake. I didn't need to say a word. The horrible revelation of this gross error slowly inched over hubby's face. It was too late to return it. The return policy had passed. We had no choice but to keep it. So we just use it as another table. Personally, I use it as a card in the back pocket. Whatever money I spend on something foolish, it's not as bad as the money spent on a pool table we can't use. Whatever foolish whim I want to indulge in, it's not as foolish as that pool table. Yes, we may not be enjoying the game of pool, but I am happy to use that pool table as a card in the back pocket, ever ready to pull out when I need it
6: a great story. Yeah.
2: Ace in the sleeve, yes. Yes. <laughs> Very nice.
6: <laughs> so, Al. I have one. I don't know if my style, my style is. Uh, if anything, it's probably a, it's a, a preachy edge, <laughs> as usual.
1: <laughs>
6: call you deeper. You All... Okay. <laughs> the, title, the title is All and All. This too will pass. This too has passed. I'll begin this story by sharing a number of events that led me to a way of seeing things today with a new perspective. Last December, even while we were going through the pandemic, I was relatively active uh, for an 89-year-old old guy until I was found to have serious heart defects. There were two blocked arteries and a defective heart valve. Shipped to the Mass General, I couldn't have been in better hands as I went through two separate less invasive procedures. First on the 24th of December for the arteries, followed by a second on the 29th for the heart valve. Catheters were used in both cases, going through the arteries of my thighs to make the repairs also had a pacemaker installed. With our large family, communications were at a full tilt in keeping all informed on what Al, dad was going through. It was a worrisome time for our family and friends where I found myself surrounded by love. Everyone was doing anything and everything they could to try to make a difference. There were prayers, support for Peggy, my wife, and preparations for my coming home, along with a myriad of hands-on help on my arrival. I felt the love. I was 11 days at Mass Journal, receiving the best care from the most professional staff you could ever find. I came home on the 31st of December. One perk I should mention was being on the 11th floor of the Ellison Building with a million dollar view looking across and up Charles River with all the bridges crossing over to Memorial Drive in Cambridge. Looking down, I could see a beautiful little park and cars going by on Storrow Drive. At home, with a nurse coming in twice a week, my recovery was complete after three weeks with good progress and a good outlook. One exception in that period was my need to guard against nosebleeds brought about because of my blood thinners that I was on to protect me from a stroke. My high blood pressure, along with intake of even moderate salt or the rare glass of wine would trigger those nosebleeds overnight. I had to go to the Brigham at Patriot Place for treatment one time. After that, I used the same methods of plugging and applying Afrin that they use to self-control repeat experiences. That's not the end of my pity party. As my garage door came down on me on March 5th and caused me to lose my balance falling on my left shoulder, my heavy winter coat helped to lessen the impact. Though I still received serious bruising, I fell on the same shoulder back in 2011 at a beach in Florida. So I thought I'd stretch out my arm to make sure nothing was broken and to align any parts that might be out of place. Okay, that was all right. Being me, I was going to do my own therapy, and I should be back in no time. Right? Not the case. I was making progress for eight days until one morning, I woke up with pain that wouldn't quit and no mobility. Time to see a doctor. I was fortunate in finding one specializing in shoulders. I met with her after we had x-rays and when I told her about transfer of pain in my elbow and forearm, she nodded as she thought it was nerve pain and that I would need an MRI and that is now scheduled for April 5th to evaluate a treatment. She gave me a cortisone shot for some relief and there was some but I'm still waiting for pain-free sleep, what next, someone might say, going through difficult times, until you look around and realize many people are dealing with a lot more than your problem and might do it with a modicum of grace. With my years as a hospice volunteer, I saw a lot of that. There was one man with terminal cancer who had reached a stage where he was allowed adequate amounts of morphine for the pain. On one of my visits to him, the mother of his wife was there. She was a retired nurse. And she remarked it was wonderful that his pain need was being met, as opposed to her memories of patients crying out with screams down the hall in her nursing days when they couldn't give that kind of medication. It reminded me of a time of my thinking of people who live with chronic pain. As I was once doubled over in serious agony, I thought of them. Chest and back pains, along with great difficulty breathing. My wife Peggy was flipping through the pages of our medical book, try, trying to find out what was going on. My symptoms looked like a gallbladder attack and sure enough, it was. It lasted a half hour, and in that time, somehow, I thought of chronic pain sufferers, but theirs wouldn't be over in a half hour, but ongoing. In Ecclesiastes, we have a line about a time for every activity under heaven, and another saying just the opposite. There is nothing new under the sun. In our time walking through life, we experience the good as well as the bad that comes our way. Just as all who have gone before us have seen. Are we just here today and gone tomorrow? What do I do with my here and now? I can celebrate the good of joy and laughter, and if possible, embrace the negatives. I can choose life as worth living, being thankful for my next breath. I can foster and build good relationships, know how a good person should live. Remember to say, this too is vanity. In life, there will be setbacks, but all in all, I can try walking tall. Good advice. Very Very powerful. powerful.
2: Yes. Very powerful.
0: I think it raises an important point that certainly as we you know, as we get on in life and we have to deal with more and more things sometimes, it's a great opportunity to assess and understand that we can choose to be happy. Mm. Some of you may recall Stella Gion.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, yeah. there was ever a clear example of a person who chose to be happy, it was Stella. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of great stories and very inspiring, I think we need to hear from Papa
2: Thank you. Um, this story. Was that, a, was,
0: was that a good intro, Pat? Did I get it right? <laughs>
2: excellent, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I wrote this um, prior to the pandemic, obviously, when you hear it. Eavesdropping. Lively conversation swirls around me, focused on learning the art of quilting. I just listen. The women of Ellie circle engage in a discussion which overflows with concern, compassion, charity. I listen with more intensity. In me, an inner quiet emerges. The true meaning of love thy neighbor permeates this room. Not only are these women crafting quilts as part of the Linus Project for hospitalized children, but they are also extending their kindness and generosity by finding the means to help to alleviate the difficulties faced by many members of the community. Yes, I am absolutely aware of the good and merciful works completed each day by hundreds, if not thousands, of people. But for whatever reason, My eavesdropping proves to be particularly joyous and heartwarming for me on this day. Something is truly affecting me. Perhaps it is my frame of mind as we are gathered for a charitable purpose. Or perhaps it is the glistening snow reflecting the dazzling sunshine through the walls of the windows, which is creating an atmosphere of warmth and happiness. Whatever the reason, the delight and contentment of being a part of this group envelops me.
3: Nice.
4: Very thank nice.
2: you. Thank uh, you.
3: As, always, as warm well, as great. it is today, the coolness of the snow, thought of the snow is cool too. <laughs> <laughs> I love the atmospheres that you
0: create, Pat. It's very nice.
2: Oh, thank you. Yes.
0: And with that, we have come to the conclusion of another, what I will call, scintillating, that's our word of the day, scintillating hour mm-hmm. of writing and storytelling with the Senior Center and our Writers Group. I'm Peter J, and with me today are... Steve Sherlock.
1: Dave Flaherty. Al Larkin, Alice Judge. Bill Wiley.
2: Pat Winnie
0: Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J.
4: Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write.
0: This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.